everyone, welcome to the Decolonial Perspectives and Practices Hub podcast. Today we will be sharing some of our history and discussing the founding of the Hub and how it got started. Chris Millet from Best Concordia will be facilitating this discussion. Thank you, Chris. And we have around the table Camilla, Hone, and myself, Alban. Let's get started. I guess I'm kind of here as, as the thing that you guys can tell. I don't know anything. I remember when these plans were first getting hatched. Um, I would be interested to know and how the hub was founded. And then, um, and I feel like it might be instructive to to tell how you did it and like what some of the challenges and barriers and obstacles were, what the, the experience was, was like, what you're proud of. I would say that the original idea of the hub, it came from... Literally myself, Hone, and another student, PhD sociology student, Tally, literally having the same idea at the exact same time. So just a magical moment where these uh, two forces merged together. So on my own, I was just sitting around um, thinking about the fact that I don't see myself, myself in my syllabus. And slowly in my master's, I was, I was getting to uh, become engaged with global scholars, non-Western scholars. And I was thinking, what if there was like some type of working group or like a reading group on global scholarship or talking about um, the global the global self? And so I was thinking about connecting with some professors, maybe students, and just forming a small reading group on that topic. And so I was working on creating a community building fund for that. And at the same time, Hone, Tally, and I were working... Um, we were with the Black Studies Collective working on the, the Black Studies Conference. And during the Black Studies Conference, we actually decided to do a decolonial workshop. And Tony, can you give more information on the decolonial workshop? Yeah, it was um, as part of uh, the conference, there was an interest around um, what are we reading generally as Black scholars, as scholars who work in marginalized communities and what and the idea was like citation itself has its own politics and what kind of literature and authors you cite is is also um, a way of you know bringing forward some some voices and um, and therefore there was curiosity around what are we reading and uh, at, at that workshop what we basically uh, did was first of all have a discussion about uh, about this, like citation and how it, uh, it entails, um, you know, or its impact in neology production and dissemination. And then we work on a collective document where we generate a list of uh, scholars that we would like to see um, in our reading list, either in a, in a course or in just in other platforms in the university. And, and that was, that was um, I think, generative in many ways because first it just demonstrated the need for different kind of reading, different kind of voices, but also uh, interest around, you know, working together to create experience and content. And I think that is where uh, we took this. And then knowing that at that workshop, we all have this experience of, you know, not seeing some of the readings that we would like to see in, in represented in the literature, both in the syllabi, but also in other research contexts, then we thought, what can we do? How about bringing these people and more people to create a community around, you know, uh, this idea of like having decolonizing um, 
what we do uh, in terms of research and teaching and all that. And I think that's how the idea for the hub started and then went into, you know, grand application, applications for the community building, uh, graduate community building firm and then launching and all. And, and today went crazy, I think. Exactly. It was, it was that moment, it was that workshop that we did. And I was thinking based on the project I was already wanting to do, I'm like, no, honestly, this cannot be a reading group. We were discussing it. There was so much interest in decolonizing and unearthing, finding space for all these alternative scholarship, all these alternative voices. This needs to be something, this is what we discussed, that needs to be solid. This needs to be a learning environment that is the norm on campus, something that we can access. And we were talking, we didn't know if it was going to be a designated space that like where there's like an office or whether it's just, you know, we make it so this is a continuous space where people congregate, but it cannot just be a reading group. To kind of um, share, I think in, in my own, how I came to this hub as, as someone with a particular, you know, background, uh, of like trend and, and work in Africa and Ethiopia and then but also same time trained in Western universities for years now. I think there was also a concern for me like especially I would say like here compared to the training I had in Europe is this there are two communities. One is exclusively focused on Africa and that is really productive but there's also another sense of community that I kind of formulated in terms of, you know, deeper engagement here about coloniality, indigenous within Canada. There's a, there's a conversation about coloniality in the sense of a global north-south division, but also there's a uh, the Canadian context of, you know, colonial coloniality or Canada is relationship with indigenous people. So I think this hub was appealing to me because I thought it could could bring these two conversations into one and see what what happens, and I think that's exactly what happened as we as we see from what the hub had become. But the idea of the hub is it's a meeting place, it's a community place. It's it's not intended to be a, a version where we you know talk about a certain model or a particular version of how to decolonize. But anyone with a vision of you know elevating marginalized voices, uh, decolonizing academia in a way they understand, can come in and have a conversation about, one, about that perspective itself, but also, more importantly, how to do that. So the practice element is, is very crucial because it's one thing to be interested in elevating voices, decolonizing and all that, but it's, all, it's a whole different thing on how to do it. And I would say the latter is even more difficult. So the hub is intended to have obviously a conversation, but beyond that, you know, be reflective of our, our own practice and kind of see what the practice of decolonizing as we understood, you know, in its different ways could be uh, practiced. Exactly. And um, after we're thinking, if this is going to be a hub, it needs to be a community. So we need to hear the community voices. And so we did a call out and we held a brainstorming session in May. And there was probably about 30 people there. And we did a roundtable conversation with students and professors because we realized what is going to make this space different than other spaces at the school? We need to have different actors at the table from different levels and different levels of um, power and authority. Because when we're talking about decolonizing or deconstructing, if you have an undergraduate student and there's no professors there, a graduate student, there's no professors there, there's going to be no change. It needs to be both top down, bottom up, completely horizontal. So we're like, you know what? 
we're going to create this horizontal space. I've never been to a space where there are faculty and students all in a room feeling like they can share um, thoughts safely. So we had a brainstorming session. Like if we decided to create a decolonial hub, what would they like to see? And there were a bunch of different answers that came out of it. I could actually, wait, let me actually find In the meantime, let me just say that uh, the, the community element was, I think in a way there because uh, the Black Studies Collective event that we just mentioned earlier, there were some people outside the university who collaborated with, with the community uh, groupers and from community groupers. So Tali was was uh, connecting at least, like she was the one bringing those people and, and trying to put this idea. So I guess that, that element and the need for it was obvious from the first series of discussions we had. Exactly. Okay, I found something. Okay, so some of the quotes were, and I'm not gonna do a lot of them, but one was uh, disrupting what is considered foundational knowledge to certain disciplines, a decentering of colonial voices, challenging colonial structures, building from student knowledge and everyday experiences of colonial relationships, a physical and digital space with alternative syllabi. So if you see in this brainstorming session, everyone is really able to just deconstruct uh, what their thoughts were, what their vision was, so we decided to take everybody's information and use that to formulate what the hub is going to look like and what the next event is. So we were like, okay, it's time to create a launch event. And that launch event, I believe, was October 1st or something like that, I think, or November 1st. Yeah, I think it was November 1st. It was November 1st. And so we had a, a launch event um, November 1st. Uh, but before, before the launch event in November 1st, it's important to say that we spent a lot of time with community engagement um, because, okay, we have 30 people who love this idea, but now how do we get other departments in the school on board? Not only is there needs to be uh, professors or whatever, there needs to be different chairs, different levels of engagement and interest. So before the launch, there was a lot of community building work. So Kahone, you can talk about the launch a little and I can jump back in. I guess, I mean, the founding, one interesting uh, purpose, something that I didn't expect but was excited about uh, at the launching was to see faculty coming together with students and and the staff to kind of use the hub as a as a place to discuss what the change could look like or uh, or and uh, what role they can play. And in fact, after that, faculty in our faculty in our department presenting, sharing their own experience and all that. So I think. The most uh, striking element from the launching for me was number one, of course, the high turnout, which just proves that uh, there's a need for this kind of hub, but also the high number of uh, faculty willing to support and continue to be supportive since then. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was that was what I was thinking as well. The professors attending it really showed me, wow, I didn't know that professors were doing this work and deconstructing because so many times. A lot of students are saying they go to classes and they just feel so unseen. They feel unseen. They feel insulted by the materials that they're given. Sometimes it's extremely discriminatory. And when they try to combat, when they try to demonstrate their concern, they're shut down because what power do they really have? And so a lot of students who attended were saying, or who were going to attend, were saying, oh, what's the point? Like, we can talk about it all we want, but how is there ever going to be change? Like, my professor is not going to come. But the thing is, is that if you get enough professors there, if you get enough students there, that's how the change starts growing outwards. And so we really wanted it to be, as I said, a different space that 
is grounded in a snowball methodology. So it, it's starting from an idea and then through collective participation, discussion, events. And so every single event that we had came from the themes and the discussions of the collective energy from before. I found that just fantastic and that we didn't anticipate that methodology. It has just really unraveled. Was there challenges in getting in getting this off the ground the way that you did? And then we'll just just to re- recap, maybe we can kind of just talk really concretely about like, are there other goals that you that you see? And then what decoloniality or decolonization means and then how you see it work in practice? Yeah, uh, I was just uh, I think that's maybe a good place to continue the conversation about how do we envision colonizing. I think for me, as someone who is trained in, uh, you know, in academia and have been primarily working within academia, I find academia to be very much, you know, unequal um, and, and hierarchical. There's a need for, uh, for making it, you know, one open and relevant, the outside academia and, and, uh, one, so one aspect of um, colonizing, I think we could think about is uh, what is the notion of valid form of knowledge? What, 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 are the, what are the criteria to make a certain set of knowledge is a valid and a legitimate one? Does it have to always appear in, you know, peer-reviewed journals? And, uh, and uh, so I think one, one notion of decolonizing, I think for me is broadening the notion of, you know, uh, producing knowledge. Uh, Outside the traditional, you know, notions of you have to have, a, you know, this particular set of procedures that you have to follow for your knowledge to be uh, defined as valid. And we can go on, you know, to exemplify that. But I think that's one one aspect of, for me, like, you know, making knowledge or the notion of valid knowledge and experience broader than. The second is even within the that you know the way academia operates now, it's very much um, it's very much an equal in the sense that there are different communities that are one uh, on the one hand there are subjects or or mm-hmm. other objects of knowledge production, and there are uh, on the on the other hand people who are producing knowledge and making a living out of it and profiting. Even we can extend this to companies. And of course, there's a lot of like, you know, the accessibility issue. Uh, I, if I, if I publish an article about Ethiopia, my peers in Ethiopia will not access it because it's locked. Mm-hmm. It's not like they have to pay and they don't pay. And after we do all that, the outcome of what we call knowledge production itself is not accessible. This is just one, one, you know, aspect of decolonizing because we're based in academia and we're talking from the context of academia. And of course, it can mean a number of things for for a number of people but i think essentially it's about uh, making the process of engagement between different groups more horizontal less hierarchical and more uh, reflective of the experience of the people uh, that are often marginalized and of course having an, an outcome whatever that outcome is that's more meaningful to the people uh, that uh, we talk about we research about and making it accessible and within that, we can talk about, you know, individual relationships that are sort of, for instance, professor, student, uh, supervisor, supervising, university graduate students, those imbalances and inequalities within this 
there are many, multiple layers of inequality that we can unpack. For me, uh, the colonialities at the, at, at the heart of it is making, you know, the way we engage more horizontal and democratic and meaningful for the less privileged kind of community. But the question, when I'm thinking about decoloniality and decolonizing, I'm thinking about who is included and who is excluded. How does this body of, of work, what is it representing? Um, and when I think about Karl Marx specifically, and I think about my history reading him, I know in Karl Marx they talk about the proletariat of human bourgeois. I'm wondering, for example, where are Black people in Karl Marx's work? Well, I know for sure that at that time, Black people were slaves or just, yeah, they were slaves at that time. Or when we're discussed, we're talked about as being marginal. And so the question is, if this is just my experience, if you go through your whole academic career and you're excluded and all you're seeing is yourself as being represented as marginal or represented as a slave, the question is, how is that is an incomplete, that is a gap in the academic experience. So in my mind, decolonizing is removing the chains, removing the barriers that push down certain groups of people, exactly what Honey was saying, from having their voices, their experiences, and their existences heard. And then so some scholars say, okay, we just need to include uh, indigenous, the African, uh, Afro-Asian people into the conversation again. No, because while Karl Marx was talking about his theories, there was somebody in the global South talking about the exact same thing. There was another scholar in the West that was not necessarily from a Eurocentric paradigm saying the exact same thing that could fill the gap. So instead of just talking about, okay, we need to train, you know, these uh, the scholars that already exist on how to be equitable and diverse, bring in experts, bring in uh, people who are already doing this work that come from the QT BIPOC community. I also wanted to be so clear too with the decolonial hub and the founding of it. Even though Hone and I were in the beginning stages of the discussion, all our new members are part of what the hub is becoming now and what the hub is going to become the trajectory. So Connie, Chancellor, and Alvan, we have members right now who are also inactive, who are all a part of the vision of what this is be what it's become, the hub community, all of our collaborators, everyone who attends the meetings, everybody who speaks, everybody who stays silent and is just there listening is a part of um, developing the vision and also just concretely making this space sustainable. And so it's really important when talking about the founding of the hub that it's, it's complexified and it's more co-creative um, than just a static, oh, this is the birth and then it just, you know, Move that way. But yeah, anyways, so that's why we have all of our teammates here with us as we're talking about the founding, because it really doesn't exist without everybody, everybody in this space. <laughs> so yeah, sorry, Elvan. Yourself too. No problem. And I just want to add a quick thing about the hub. Like I don't come from an academic background, so I'm that's why I guess I keep coming back to the practice and experiences and things like that. And one thing that the hub does, I think, is the practice of uh, bringing people together and discussing themes. And um, so I think just like Jamila was just saying, how we're constantly evolving. So dynamics are going to be different. There is more knowledge in the room, more experiences. And, and I think it's also the concept of, hey, we're learning in the classroom. 
but no, we're also learning outside the classroom. Every time we talk to our peers, every time we have like this kind of meetings. And what I love about the hub as well is like the intersectionality of all the meetings we have. Like sometimes we end up with a group of artists, sometimes random people, sometimes more our department and all these meetings bring up new perspectives and also shift the practice a little bit. And I think trying to keep in mind those um, those small changes is what really helps us continue this conversation to make sure that we're always like trying to capture, I guess, what's in the room. So I really like the practice aspect of it. So yeah, that's also what I like about the space of the hub. If I may jump in because about uh, because one of the questions you had was about the challenges, and I think uh, Alben kind of touched upon some of that challenge, which is coloniality is, uh, is consist of like you know daily practices, laws, instruments, uh, and and all that, and we all are uh, living within that framework, and it's very difficult to translate that, and all of a sudden you know become a new person, a different person. Uh, you know, armed with new tools and 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 thinkings about what decoloniality mean and what what a practice it, it should look like. And I think part of the challenge is like there's always you know uh, there's always uh, a risk of perpetuating you know some of the experiences that we have throughout our lives that uh, need to to take us for granted. And and uh, and therefore I think the hub is also in that sense. A platform for uh, or a safe space for not only learning but also unlearning as we learn new things and as we meet new people and as society at a larger scale changes. A lot of people come to us and they are expecting, okay, we want to decolonize. How? Mm. We're like, yeah, how? We're looking at them. We're like, we we are learning the exact same thing together. As you guys are mentioning, we are unlearning. We are unfolding ourselves. Uh, We've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and we're going to make a lot more. And at the same time that we're participating through this collective moment and collaboration, we're realizing that we can start solidifying pretty concrete methods on how to create decolonial spaces and how to create decolonial practices. So when you were mentioning, Chris, about something a little bit more a concrete and definite for our goals, we're using every single event and every collaboration to document what's working, what type of environment, learning environment, space is needed to have a horizontal, just um, area where voices are heard, where alternative theories and methods are produced, where QT BIPOC expertise is channeled, is celebrated, and the list goes on. So how, what type of environment is needed? What type of conversation style is needed? What type of interactions are needed? How is this safe space formulated? And through every single event, we're taking notes on, on this. So we are planning to solidify ourselves as a methodological a methodological hub. So the hub, obviously, as a practice generator, but methodologically. So we can have something established that other people can reproduce. It can be reproduced in other schools. It can be reproduced in classrooms. It can be reproduced in different ways. And I like something that Alban mentioned actually at one of our private meetings was we don't want to necessarily coin these methods as our own because we're taking them and we're learn not taking them, but we're developing them with so many people, with the community. So the Decolonial Hub methodology is coming from the Decolonial Hub community. 
And we're just the ones housing it, documenting it, and making it accessible for people to access. And so um, that is concretely what we do here. We are, I guess, trying to solidify and specialize ourselves in creating these spaces, these conversations, and um, real actions to implement into our lives. How, how often does the hub meet internally? Once a week. Once a week, okay. At least. At it's least, a, yeah. And then we got a shift grant too. And what shift has done is it's helped us realize that we need to branch out into the community. So shift is really about social social impact. Do you have any more questions, uh, Chris? Maybe we'll just do a, an around the room here to see if there's any final things on this specific subject. Maybe to thank collaborators. Um, so one of our earliest collaborators was Alice Mingwei Jim and Heather Egaliorte and the Indigenous Directions team and the Ethnoculture Art Histories Research Group. And they've been extremely, we've been working together and we've been working together on events. And just, it's important to acknowledge the people that are building with you. So that was in the early onset and they've continued, we continue to support each other since then. And it's been amazing. Um, the department, we got a grant from uh, and on, a, on our application, right? Yes, Amy, Craig, Craig have been amazing. Um, from the Inuit Futures Indigenous Directions Research Team, um, Riley Bishop and Danielle Miles. It's also worth emphasizing again that it's very open. People are welcome to join and partner with us. And this is a space for anyone interested in the topic. It doesn't belong to any particular person or any group. Yeah, and I think for all the participants at our events as well, just keep participating and sharing your voices because I think that's it's really inspiring. And then and then I think we've also had like people within the university mostly who have encountered like specific things contact us, specific events or incidents. And I think that's also something that's really interesting for the hub to see how to help and support all of these examples of where we can be more decolonial. <laughs> so yeah, like more activist groups or small incidents, I think because it's a safe space and because we also try to learn from experience, then that's also somewhere we should, we hope to get more contacts. And it's at all levels of your decolonizing process Thank you everyone for joining us. This was a really invigorating episode. For listeners at home, please check us out on Facebook at the Decolonial Perspectives and Practices Hub page. And if you'd like to be part of the community, you can find our email there and don't hesitate to reach out and say hi. We'd love to hear from you, your ideas, your opinions. Thanks everyone for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you.